I honestly think that I will build this up to be a 1 million plus asset by the end of 24. I guess if somebody's watching this and they're like, well, I'm very intrigued by the, the KDP stuff, what would you recommend as kind of like a, a blueprint to where to start? I see people doing three, four million dollars in, in gross uh, and netting down to about 20 to 25%. Started at 200 bucks for the month, then quickly was a 2,000, 4,000, 9,000, um, and ended the year at 21,000, uh, almost 22, and I'm gonna net 15, okay? from you and one other guy. The other guy does 12 to $15 million a year in OA, and he talks about how- Don't get reimbursed for stuff. That 20% margin is now like 15 or 10%. And if you do like your year, it's like, oh, it's only 12%. If you have to do every step of every process, you'll probably have a bad time. But if you build these systems out and you hire people that can replicate that system, then you build out 100 machines and they all just in that realm. Um, but for me, there's just easier ways to make money, so I'll, I'll do that instead. What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Side Hustle Experiment Podcast. I'm going to throw it over to Drew to do his very first intro. Yeah, finally, he's letting me talk. John <laughs> usually says, shut up, Andrew. You're not allowed to talk during the beginning, but now he's letting me talk. This is, uh, this is Jake. This is Jake Rader. Um, he signed up for my mentorship program last year and really we kind of had to cut it short because he runs an accounting firm. That's like the biggest, you know, time of the season. He also just hit 20K a month last month on Amazon KDP. We're getting a bunch into that. It's like a real estate guru. Maybe we'll get into that. And then he's drop shipped hundreds of thousands of dollars of adult toys on Amazon, along with many other things, invest in big companies, kind of a big deal. So hopefully we're going to do a bunch of big stuff and uh, yeah, how's it going today, right. Jake? It's going well. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So first thing, I, I, I think the main thing we want to hear about off the bat is this KDP stuff, because I feel like no one's really talked about this in our side of stuff. So kind of break down why you even started with that and how you got into it, especially from coming from, okay, you wanted to learn OA from me. Now you want to do the, you know, the whole different kind of thing, really. Yeah. So come 2020, you know, uh, everyone's in lockdown. CPA firms are still considered essential. So we still worked like normal. Um, but I kind of started seeing people have success online, got into drop shipping in 2020. Uh, I like to zig where others zag. So I saw everyone getting to private label, um, with dog food, you know, something that was kind of like exciting. I saw the other side of the areas that people didn't touch, which was kind of like that adult side. I thought, okay, maybe there's some money to be made here. There was, um, but you know, with drop shipping, I did close to a million in in 2020 with like four percent profit margins. That's the stuff no one ever tells you, right? It's like, yeah. oh, look at look how much money I'm making gross. I'm keeping less than five percent of it. Um, and and so that was my first foray into kind of the e-com side. Um, KDP came around because I had a client who was a mortgage lender, and she ended up quitting her job because she was an author. And I had never heard of her. I didn't understand how this thing was working. So I asked her, she just was selling uh, books through, through Amazon, Kindle self-publishing, where you can upload a book, either Kindle or paperback. And when somebody buys it, Amazon will print and ship it to them and you'll get a percentage of the royalties. Uh, so that kind of blew my mind. I started getting into that 
come late 2021. Um, I was always kind of too much of a perfectionist. I wanted the book to be perfect. I wanted the cover to be perfect. I wanted, and I started to realize that I was never going to launch if I just waited forever. So in February of 23, I launched uh, all my books basically at once. Started at 200 bucks for the month, then quickly was at 2,000, 4,000, 9,000, um, and ended the year at 21,000, uh, almost 22, and I'm gonna net 15k. So that's quite the uh, the the jump in that year. And I promise you, KDP is gonna be the Amazon guru BS that uh, that gets pushed and pedaled pretty pretty hard, and uh, and I say that because there's a lot of people like you, um, that, you know, are just honest and kind of cut through and Hey, this is, don't, don't look at what other people are doing. Cause a lot of times they're just faking it. And so seeing those people that really, really are invested in, in your success, uh, pays dividends. And that is kind of how I started with KDP is I, uh, just saw how other people were having success and there's not a ton out there. It's, you kind of are going out into the forest with machete and finding your own path, but it, it's worked out well and, and it's going to work out well for, for many people in 24. So did you write the books yourself or did you form it out? So, um, I come out with a super detailed outline and then I have a few writers that I've found that are like the best of the best. If you go out to Upwork and you pay someone 200 bucks to, to write a book, you're going to have a bad time. Um, but the difference, right, is that I think my most expensive book, I paid all in cover, uh, writing, book blurb, formatting, audiobook, maybe 2600 okay. And uh, I made my money back in, in less than two months. Um, wow. And and then that's an asset. It's like digital real estate is that now when you look up my keywords, I'm there. I have over a hundred, 200 reviews. Good luck trying to, trying to beat me at, at that. And so to me, it's kind of like getting that beachfront property in California. You might be able to, to be not on the water. Um, but as I keep growing, it, it becomes digital real estate that is very hard to compete with once that brand is built. Yeah, and you, you run like to get those off the ground. Is it a lot of ads type of stuff or, you know, what, what's the yeah. like, traffic source? So the way that it's going to start is you don't really want to run ads until you have between 20 to 50 reviews. Um, the There's some books under my own name that haven't hit that part yet, but it's just because the ones under my name are not going to be huge niches, right? So like if you look up van life passive income, you'll find me. Um, and you might find a few others that have bad reviews. So at seven reviews, I'll probably be uh, at l later this month, I'll be closer to to 30 to 40 as I start building that funnel out. Um, but I, I was still selling it and doing somewhat well where there's other areas that my focus had to be on to kind of like, you know, break apart in a niche that does print much better than kind of those niche finance topics do. Yeah. So how do you get reviews for the books then? A lot of it is uh, having VAs go through Facebook. Uh, you know, you're basically trying to say, hey, um, I see that you follow this group on Facebook. I have a book written. I'll give it to you for free. 
um, if you if you write a review. Um, there's uh, some sites out there that I've had a lot of success with, like Free Booksy and Bargain Booksy. You make your book for free, and I'll get two, three, four thousand uh, downloads in a day. And all I need is just maybe ten to twenty people to write a review uh, for it to start that ball rolling. And uh, and so it's just knowing that type of way to navigate it, because uh, that social proof is the most. It's a must-have. If you spend twenty thousand in ads and you have no reviews, you will not sell a book. Um, so it's that social proof is the number one most important thing. And when it comes to that business, I, we and we just did a like recorded a podcast yesterday. We were talking about these new businesses we're kind of running. And the big part is like all these hurdles that kind of start. You've been in like all these different things. You know how there's always that part where you're like, either this is not worth it or this is worth it, whatever it is. In the KDP thing, what do you think is the part where people are going to get stuck or people are going to get frustrated or people are just going to like literally just quit? Um, you know, it it's the low content. That's going to be your, your uh, journals, right? It's just a journal cover with lined paper that has so much competition. You you really have to kind of get lucky um, to have success there, and that's where most gurus tell you to tell you to go. That's where most people are going to go and quit. Oh man, I just spent three days on Canva um, making a cover, and it didn't sell any, and I just wasted all my time. Um, where this medium content that's going to be more like your coloring books, trivia, um, things like that, where there's a higher barrier to entry. So there's less competition and therefore you're going to have more success. Now your high content, that's like your 30,000 uh, word, um, much higher level that can be nonfiction or fiction. Um, that's going to have even less competition. Uh, but if you have a great cover, now you're better than 90%. The content's good. Now you're better than 95 and you have 50 plus reviews. Now you're in the top 1% of KDP and that you there's no other online business right now that is that wide open where in December, I literally only spent time to look how much money I made. I got on, there's no inventory. <laughs> there's no quality control. There's nothing. There is how much money did I make? Let me look at it. Look at it. Okay. Maybe I should come up with a new book in the series. Maybe I expand this or maybe, Hey, uh, there's other software out there where you can find niches that might be ripe. Uh, and so I have a, a long list and, and in January, I've already have a few writers hired and we're just hitting the ground running. I think that's yeah. amazing too. And I think it just speaks to a lot about the space in general. And I think, you know, if you think you're going to do anything in three days and like have success, like you're already going to fail because I agree with you. A lot of people see Oh, like you could just buy on Nike.com and they go to Nike, they buy a hoodie or whatever they're going to buy the price tanks. And they're like, Oh, this doesn't work. And it's like, no, like that's what everyone's doing. That's what's out. Like we've always talked about this. I used to have like a live podcast and Drew would come on and we used to be like, if you see people talking about it, like that's not the thing to be doing. Like stay very far away from that. You paused out there for a second. <laughs> Oh, for me. I was going to say, when you see something and everyone's talking about it, that's kind of like when you should stay away from it. And it's basically over because everyone's just kind of using that to promote their group or their success or whatever. Yeah. And that's not what they're doing anymore. When they're talking about yeah. it, they're on to the next thing. They're not doing that same thing for sure. 
Yeah, and the biggest thing that I think is the most important thing to take away from this, and it's not like I'm trying to go out there and, and talk about it because the opportunity is so good. I'm not trying to start a course. I'm not trying, like I want, I, I like helping people. So I have helped a few people along the way, but you know, there's a few private label, big superstar people on Twitter. One is a guy named Molson Hart. He, yeah. uh, he does toys, plushes, everything. He brought something to my attention that I was already having success with the KDP. And I was like, that's why he said in private label, you have to deal with two giant groups that run Amazon, the Orthodox Jews and the Chinese. And the Chinese have a hard time with copy, right? With branding. Yep. Um, and the Orthodox, uh, they have a lot of great relationships with Israel. They're great. You can't compete with them on their prices. So where, where am I now? I'm with great branding, great copy, great niche ideas and great book writing, which is my strong suit. And I don't need to compete with factories that are going to undercut me. I don't need to compete with relationships that I can't get. I can't create. So it's cre it's taking advantage of what you're good at and seeing like, yeah, there's people that <clears throat> still make good money with private label, but it's so much harder. Well, I still want to be an e-com. Where can I go? And so that's kind of how all of this kind of came to be. I don't think people are going to understand the importance of what you just said there. I've never heard anyone say that aside from you and one other guy. The other guy does 12 to $15 million a year in OA. And he talks about how Chinese and the Orthodox Jews, that is like how the the wholesale and the OA and the private label stuff, a lot of that gets like, yeah, destroyed because <laughs> they have all the factories and they have all the relationships and you just literally can't get in that stuff. That's interesting that you say that because I've never heard it before besides one other guy. I didn't know Molson Hart had said that either. But yeah, it makes complete yeah. sense that yeah. I'm going to start this business that's way more of kind of a creative journey to where it doesn't really matter who it is. Nobody can get in the, you know, in the way of, you know, what's going on here. Yeah, and I think yeah, that's it's... a big point too because like you're saying you're, you're being creative, you have all these ideas. Like I could be like, Oh, I don't know what you sell, but let's say you sell fitness books or whatever. But well, I could write a fitness book. Like I don't know, are you talking about weightlifting? You're talking about run. It's much harder to knock off. I feel like, or you have to buy the book, and then I'm sure there's like protections around if they just basically took your whole book or just changed a little bit of it or whatever. But it almost doesn't seem like it would be worth it to kind of knock off your thing because you're already ten steps ahead. Like you already have reviews. You already kind of have like what's going on, and they're just trying to like go off your coattails, but if they don't know what they're doing, it's not going to work. Yeah. And it's, it's tons of respect to, to the people that are killing it on private label. It, it's hard work to do it. And, and the people you're competing with, like I said, they're, they own the space and it's only getting worse. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it's just, it's interesting when Molson brought that up, it kind of clicked. I was like, that's why it made sense. I didn't know that that's why it made sense, but that's why it makes sense. Yep. Yeah, a ton. Yeah. So I guess, where do you see it all going? Like with the KDP stuff, like, do you want to do that? Like what, what's the end goal? I guess I, I know that question's like very hard cause that can all shift all the time, but what, where do you see it kind of going? Well, I honestly think that I will build this up to be a 1 million plus asset by the end of 24. Um, there's, if you go on empire flippers right now, there's two businesses for sale. <clears throat> One does about 4,000 net and it's, I think it's selling for 150 grand and it started like a year ago. Um, the second one is a romance niche. 
um, that <clears throat> is selling for over seven hundred thousand dollars, and they net, I believe, fifteen k. Um, and I think that I'll start hitting those numbers in spring. And so, um, the other thing to remember with these books is the norm is eighty percent of your royalties come from one book. I'm not the norm. My, I think if I was to look at my books right now, I might make $300 today. And my top three books are going to account for like 35% of my total royalties. So every book I have sells. What I'm bad at is building out websites to turn this, uh, this book into a, a bigger brand with, with blogging and you know all this other stuff. I know that that's what I'm bad at. So that's kind of what I would like to do is either partner with somebody who's good at creating these blogging situations or just hire VAs uh, because that's how you turn uh, an Amazon book brand into a big brand that is now worth big, big money. Yeah. So I don't, if you don't want to talk about it, so you don't have to, but how many books do you have? Um, so I have uh, 17. Wow. Uh, I On Amazon, it says 22. A few of them were like, um, coloring books that I was kind of messing around with, with AI and stuff like that. They don't really, uh, do well. Cause now that's kind of what everybody's gone into. So I just pulled them back because I didn't want to get in trouble with AI or, or anything along, along those lines. Um, so I have 17 high content books, uh, that are selling now. Uh, yeah, that, that is so great. I think people that are listening to this, their mind will be blown if that's even out there because I've got my mind's kind of blown that it's like that. But I do understand the high margin business stuff where I've been getting into that, like the info kind of product space. And it is crazy the kind of stuff that you can kind of accomplish there. And the comparison to, you know, the OA or whatever it is, like the low versus the high margin is just kind of ridiculous. And building an asset, I mean, that's just very, very massive. Yeah. So, what's your goal behind making the websites to kind of, just generate more awareness and like push people there? Or are you trying to make like a series, like book one, book two, book three, or I, I don't know. Which... I, I think that it's uh, to, I know that those info type um, sites can make a lot of money. And so I, I already have, um, I think my biggest brand a pen name has over 400 followers on, on Amazon. Now that doesn't do much for me. I don't have their emails. I can't tell them when a new book's launched. They have to log into Amazon and get that alert. So I know what I'm bad at, and that's building this this uh, way to get your information and then tell you when new books are launched, ask for reviews. Like I'm doing very well, and I'm doing 5% what I could be doing if I just nailed all that other stuff. Um, and so having a, a, a blog or something along those lines um, with fitness or cookbooks or parenting, whatever it is, um, that's how you turn a reader into someone who's going to read all your books and go to your website and read your blogs. And it, it's how you turn one customer into six. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like when like bigger influencers launch a book, they always give away a free chapter and you get put on the email list and then they're like, Hey, the book is out. Can you review it? Can you do this? Can you do that? And we're going to do a launch party. So yeah, that could be a lot of leverage. Especially if you're in the same genre. Like, hey, we just released a new book. If you like this one or everyone who reviews it is going to get a free copy of the next or whatever you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, one thing, um, 
I guess if somebody's watching this and they're like, well, I'm very intrigued by the, the KDP stuff, what would you recommend as kind of like a, a blueprint to where to start? You know, where do you go on YouTube or do you buy somebody's course or you know, what, what do you kind of do to get started with all this stuff? Well, I think reaching out to people who do it, um, do it well. The course stuff to me, I don't think there's anything out there yet that's amazing. The only reason I say that is because I feel like most courses are new people excited and talking to other new people. And that doesn't do much for that person who spent that money. You know, for one thing, I think it's nice. Spending money means that you're going to now try harder, right? Mm -hmm. It just seems to make you try harder when you're actually putting yep. uh, energy and money into it. But that's why I've kind of enjoyed the mentorship thing. Um, I've had one or two people that I've, so one person I've done, I've worked with three people. The first one was a realtor who just wanted to get a high quality book that he could give out to his clients and establish a name for himself in a local market. And the difference between him working with me and him working with someone else is that I actually have helped him create a book that sells. So a lot yes. of times you just get a free book that sucks that you give away for free and that goes in the trash where this book is something that people actually find on Amazon and buy it. Now he can give it to his clients for free. They'll see that he has over a hundred reviews that it actually sells. It's occasionally a bestseller. Um, that type of thing where, where now you can say I'm an Amazon bestseller has a lot, holds a lot of weight to no, to your average customer. The other two are people that wanted to build an asset. Um, and I would say that one of them broke a thousand dollars in December. Um, and so obviously December's Q, Q4 is a big month for any Amazon seller, but, um, what that has done is helped him build an asset. And that's before he's even launched his first high content book. Um, that's, uh, medium content, I'd say coloring books, but more like infographics specific to, um, people that might be in the medical field or the fitness field. Um, and it's much harder than just creating like a journal, right? So he's had success there. And I would say reaching out to those types of people that aren't going to sell you a course for you to talk to new people. You you really want to be getting that handholding from people that have done it before. Similar to, to your uh, mentorship program, Drew, I, I liked working with you. I didn't want to work with uh, a video of you and then ask other new people how, how it was going. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. That's the last podcast we had. We were talking about that. Like, if you just go find somebody who knows what they're doing, just tell them, hey, can I, can I pay you to teach me this stuff? Like one-on-one, -on -one, not like I give you a big video review stuff and then you never talk to me. Yeah, that's just not really, it's not very, very good for success, I would say. That one-on-one -on -one help yeah. is just like so big. The so success rate starts to skyrocket. Yeah. yeah. So when you started, did you have a mentor? Or did you just kind of go through videos and try to figure it out? Or did you get a course? Um, I had hired a mentor. Uh and did about four lessons uh calls with him um and uh and so that's kind of how i got some on the ground training it was in 2021 it was much harder to find somebody who's done it before um but i was able to find somebody and and get a lot of good good knowledge and at 2021 i was doing the van life thing so we were living in a van and traveling all over and when my girlfriend was driving um, I was doing research and finding out book titles and going through all that stuff. And then, uh, in 2023, we went on another van life trip and I had had some calls with Drew 
while we were on the road. And uh, so it was one of those things that when you're doing stuff like that, you have all the time in the world to uh, really do your due diligence and kind of start nailing your craft better. Yep. So have you made a book then that kind of, what would make a good book versus a bad book? Have you made a book that didn't sell or it's more like you could kind of change some things to make it sell or how does that come Yeah. Out? So um, the books that will not sell, you could have the best book in the world and the worst cover. That yeah. People judge a book by that cover and Perfect. you have to nail it. So, so getting a $20 fiber cover is just not going to cut it. Uh, you need to go find a, a really, really great designer for 200, 300 bucks. Um, and it's well worth it. Out of those 17 books, I would say that maybe one of them was a dud. And it was just because looking at that, if I look at the market in that book now, there's only one book that does well. And it may be because he or she's an influencer that I, I wasn't aware of. Um, things like that, where, you know, when I'm looking at what, what book will sell, I want to see a proof of concept from maybe two to four other books. If I see 12 doing well, can I be better than those 12? And if I only see one doing well, why is it doing well? Is it because the cover, is it because the title, or is it because the author is somebody that you might not be aware of, but is a big deal in their, in their niche. Um, but out of the, out of the 17, 16 are doing, I made my money back on all of them. The reason that 17th one was a dud is because my ad spend is better spent somewhere else. Um, I might as well use that money on books that give me three, four times ROI than one that I might give a dollar to get a dollar 10, right? Uh, it's not worth it. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so I guess what we might get a circle back around this KDP thing. I feel like we can spend the whole time talking about this. I want to get this something out. So it's on the accounting side, uh, I'm sure you've done some Amazon guys books. I know I've, I've referred you a few people. Um, if you from the accounting side of Amazon in general, what kind of stuff do you see that maybe you, that doesn't align with what people say on a lot of these podcasts and on Twitter and that type of thing? Have you learned anything about that from doing books with people? Yeah, I would say you know on Twitter everybody is making thirty percent. They're not, uh, you know, it, it's, it's like, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, when I was doing my best OA, it was because I had found Yetis and life straws. Yeah. I was just making money with Yetis and life straws. And that was, that was it. Um, you know, I see a lot of people that don't understand the actual return rate on clothing, on socks, shoes. Um, it, it can be brutal. Uh, you might be making good money until you're not because they're all getting returned to you. Um, and then not knowing what to do with those returns to get a mail back to you, to get them destroyed. There's a lot of things people have no clue what's going on. And then they're going, wait a minute, I'm paying my credit card bill. Um, what I have left over is not nearly what I thought was going to be there. And it's because they really are not paying attention. Um, and so what I found is best for books is... I'm not going to be your CFO. And that means I'm not going to look at each item granularly, granularly to tell you buy this, buy this, buy this, sell this, you know, type of thing. What I do is look at the big picture and it's obvious when you have a massive return rate to figure out why that's happening. But what I found is that most people want a, uh, an affordable 
bookkeeping option that they can also talk to somebody who's been there and done that. Uh, and that's kind of what we offer and, and try to give out to, to clients is uh, generally we're at that 299 range. Um, and if you want your taxes included and consulting and all this stuff, we might be up to the 500 range, but that's all, all inclusive. That's everything. That's cell phone texting me at, at six in the morning because it's some sale type of thing, right? It's that type of handholding that I've seen people gener generally want and need rather than their thousand dollar bookkeeping. And then there's taxes on top uh, when most of that time that seems unnecessary. Yeah, I find that interesting because uh, from what I have seen so far online, the bookkeeping is very ridiculous for what people charge for that. And, and like when you really break it down, I mean, the, there's not like that much to it. It's just a bunch of grunt work, you know, for the most part. And then when you get into the like, tax planning and the strategizing side, that's where the expenses can come in. But the bookkeeping part, really, you can probably outsource all that to someone for three bucks an hour or something. You know, it's just that's all it really is. Yeah, I track your bank accounts and your credit cards. Yeah. You know, um, and when you get paid by Amazon, I can see it. So it's it's one of those things that uh, that. You know, if you want to know which credit card to get, I can help you. If you want to know um, how much money you made last month, I can help you. Your return rates, I can help you. But uh, I just find that a lot of times uh, it, it can be a lot. And the way that I want to do your bookkeeping is I want to do your bookkeeping to save you on taxes. That's my goal. So, you know, I want it to be a net benefit to where uh, you come to me and you've saved more uh, than you've paid me because... With bookkeeping, I'm going to take anything reasonable, ordinary, and necessary. Oh, my light went off. Anything reasonable, ordinary, and necessary to how you make your money, I want to write off. So I'm going to track everything and and go through all that for you. Since John, you got anything more on the bookkeeping? Yeah. So for most people, I would say, so are you working? Do you like hook into their inventory labs and all that kind of stuff? Or are you mainly just kind of looking at I guess financials. Financials. So I'm going to give them a cash flow statement, profit and loss balance sheet. Um, sometimes people want me to look at their inventory labs. Other times they want me to just base it off of what credit cards do you use to buy, um, and where do you get paid, and where where am I going to see these these refunds? Where am I going to see these these uh, additional expenses to really get down to what you're actually making? Yeah, I mean, I work with a bookkeeping service and then I also have kind of like someone I've always worked with and he kind of does the tax filing and he's like my guy that I'll tax be like what should I do here I need to close this or do that and yeah, yeah having a bookkeeping service man it is it's eye-opening to see like you see your inventory labs number and I think a lot I was actually thinking about this at the gym a lot of people are like oh right like it says like 10,000 you're like oh, I probably like have like I don't know, two hundred dollars worth of software, like, eh, you know, let's call it nine thousand, but that nine thousand quickly shrinks down to like four or five real quick. Like with just other expenses, hidden expenses. Um especially too, I was telling Drew the other day, when you're looking at inventory labs, like let's just say it's I don't know, October. Go back to October in december and it looks totally different 
like as those returns come in or other hidden expenses where things get lost or you don't get reimbursed for stuff, that 20% margin is now like 15 or 10%. And if you do like your year, it's like, oh, it's only 12%. But your month, it looks like you had this great month. And the next month, it looks good, but it's not to like three months later where that 15% is all of a sudden it's like eight or 9%. You're like, what happened? And it's all just returns. And, you know, and for me, for inventory labs too, I've been doing this a long time. And a lot of the, it's not super clear. Like I haven't really talked to anyone. Like I've interviewed CPAs before and it's like, well, how does inventory labs handle returns? Well, it's like, well, like their help side, this is what it says. But I'm not really sure. Like that's what's happened. It's just all this gray area. And I honestly, I said this on another podcast. It was like, I honestly think if you don't have a CPA or bookkeeping firm, like you have no clue what you're making. Yeah, it it can be eye opening for a lot of people <clears throat> when they actually see see their numbers. And you know, there's bookkeeping uh, services out there. If you have bookkeeping done, you're probably better than most sellers, right? Because because it's hard to be an OA expert, an Amazon expert, and an accounting expert. Um, you, you need help where you need it. Um, and, uh, and so if you have something, it's helpful. Now there's other times where, like I said, it can get excessive. If I give you a thousand items that I need you to tell me what it is, generally you can figure it out along the way as a bookkeeper, as a CPA type of thing, where I don't need to take up too much of your time. Um, and if I've seen it once and you've answered my question, and if I see it again, I'll know, I'll know where that goes and, and why, but yeah, anything like I said that that uh, it's always going to be different. You might have a a lawyer who wants to make some extra money and is a high high earner. You might have someone who's bootstrapping it and just kind of uh, rubbing two pennies together, and suddenly now they've they've accrued a pretty good living. Each one of those is going to have different tax situations and different reasons as to why they might want to spend more in December than they would in January, right? Where it's one of those things where sometimes it's going to come in hand handy where how much you're spending and when for each situation because they're all going to be different i'm meeting with my accountant every third quarter and it's just like what does this look like how much do you think i have to pay in taxes and yeah. it's like what do you think you're going to do in q4 i meet with him pretty much every probably once a quarter and it's so worth the 200 dollars because he just could help me guide through you know, hey, like, it's probably a good idea for you to buy a brand new computer if you really want one. Like, this is the time to do it. Like, if you think you're going to crush it, like, we'll pay this towards taxes. And just kind of having someone handle that kind of stuff. Or, like, I just got a bunch of stuff in the mail. I'm just like, well, going to send it to him. And he's going to kind of <laughs> sort it out for me instead of trying to, like, Google around. Because my time is better spent, like, working out my business or doing other stuff instead of googling and doing something and then having to call him to fix it and it's like twice as much because i don't understand what was going on yeah and just knowing you're in good hands you know whoever that is just knowing you're in good hands that you're getting taken care of and that you're important to that person uh and you're not forgotten about and just like one of twenty thousand on his list you know then it's then it's something that you uh are like oh okay i'm in good hands i'm happy I don't need to rock the boat. Yeah, and I, that, I think that's so huge when it comes to like literally any service and especially when it comes to this tax stuff. For me, 
like taxes, this whole conversation just gives me anxiety. I hate even talking about taxes. So literally, it's like the bane of my existence, man. Like two nights ago, I was just laying, staring at the ceiling. Like, how much am I going to have to pay in taxes? It's just coming. thinking about all this stuff. And like, am I going to get feed for something that I missed somewhere? It's just awful. And I think having somebody that's communicative with you and just giving you a rest, like rest assured, everything's going to be all right. I've got all this covered. Here's what you need to do here, whatever. It's just really big on your mental like health for all this business stuff. And it's like that everywhere, no matter what the problem you have. You, you just need to be in communication with people. I think people just, for some reason, I think there's a trend nowadays of you charging a bunch of money for a service and giving the worst service ever. Uh, I, like a lot of the services I've paid for in the past have been like that. It's just, I, I don't understand. Yeah. Because but, you yeah, feel like uh, stuff too. Well, and I, I know from experience, like working with this bookkeeping firm, like the first month sucks. Like, I don't know how you do it, but like, you know, it's just a lot. Like, hey, here are all my credit cards. Here's the bank accounts. Like, oh, this password's not working. It's just like, oh, do I want to do this? But now that it's all set up, it's probably the best thing I've ever done. And it's the best. Like, everybody always asks, like, oh, when's the best time to get one? It's like, as soon as you can. Like, I don't know. If you don't know your numbers in this business, like, you're screwed hard. And yeah, I think you... a lot of people don't know their numbers. And instead, of, and sometimes it's like, well, if you're making 10 grand a month, give an account at 400. Like, what's the issue? Like, I don't get it. But yeah, maybe, to... not, maybe you don't have that 400. And that's a bigger that's flag a to be like, maybe I should get one and figure out <laughs> why I don't have this $400 for an account. Yeah, to me, the accountant. Being a CPA is, I envision it to like, you guys are in a boat and you guys are actually moving, right? But is it because your boat works or it's because the current is taking you somewhere until the current stops and then you sink, right? It's one of those things that it, you have to know how you are navigating. And if you are just kind of winging it and you're like, well, actually I'm moving forward. Wait, you're moving forward because the current's pushing you into a big giant wall that's going to sink your boat. Um, and so it's kind of knowing how to navigate that uh, to to put yourself in the best situation where you can make the most money but pay the least amount of taxes. Who doesn't want that? Everybody wants that. So th that's always the goal. Yep. Well, I want to hop into this uh, the drop shipping the adult toys a bit because I think that is such an interesting story. And I'm sure lots of clips will come out of this one as well. So how did you eventually get into that one? And then – yeah, walk through that a little bit. That specific process. What your day to day looked like when you were. What was it? OA or was it wholesale? Like what? What kind of was the whole thing? It was about just it? drop shipping. Yeah. So okay. I did. I did not have any inventory until somebody bought it from me on Amazon, mm -hmm. and then I would order it from the wholesaler. So I used, uh, uh, you know, the software. I feel like it's really dropped off, but it was inventory source. Uh, I'm sure most people have looked at inventory source. So the way that this worked is I was looking at all of the available um, wholesalers. And at the time, and I think it still is, Inventory Source would let you look at each individual SKU. So I could see what I could buy the SKU from for, for this item. And I could see what it would sell for on Amazon. And then you just do the calculations. Um, and it's FBM. So you're not shipping it to Amazon. You're just having it directly go from the wholesaler to the the customer. And, you know, if I could make one penny, I would do it. Uh, Cause then they'll upload all 10,000 plus items. And I know that I'm profitable on every single one. And uh, you just rinse repeat. So on some items I was making a single penny, other items I was making nothing. 
And the reason why was because I was pushing other people off of the listing is that they couldn't really compete with me because I was making nothing on it. Eventually they leave. I'm the only one on it. And then I can bump the price up a little bit and, and have some reward there. Uh, so some of that stuff, you know, is a little, it's business. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, they would have just had 250 for every shipped item. So I would include that in the cost. Um, and I would have to go through inventory source and click the, uh, you know, use best option shipping, have it shipped and just kind of watch it all roll in. Um, eventually I hired a few VAs to list on eBay because eBay is the, was the bane of my existence because it's made in like the fifties and you can't just yeah, auto populate, yeah. right? It's all basically hand done. Um, eventually I got to a point where I was doing very well gross uh, net wise, right? I was probably making 40 grand a year, um, 48, 36, something like that, where it's nice to have it come in. Uh, but I started getting trademark stuff where even though I was allowed to sell it through my wholesale supplier and I could give them letters, I, I was getting all the time to a week from different brands and uh, it just got to be too much of a headache. So I slowed that down. Occasionally I'll list some stuff on eBay because uh, I'll get email notifications like when the supplier is having a huge sale and I'll just list it on eBay um, and make a couple hundred bucks here or there just for the fun of it. But uh, it, it it was a good learning experience for sure, just with business in general. Uh, I'd get stuff returned to my house. <laughs> and I, I'd have to dispo dispose of that. I'm like, this is some crazy stuff. But it was... Uh, it was a good learning experience. And in 2020, I probably could have done better um, if I had really just taken the taken advantage of listing it for zero, maybe losing 10 cents every time I sold something, then owning the listing and then bumping the price up. But I was learning as I went and uh, it was still just a good way to, to add that to the resume, right? Was it stressful for me? Like when I think about the drop, it just seems like a stressful business and like, lost to juggle or lost to manage like do you have issues with people not getting the order or is that just kind of like TikToky kind of stuff no i never had that issue i'd have issues with people wanting it at a certain time and it getting there late uh -huh. um that was an issue that i would have um and then another issue that i would have is that the brand would have like a, a map pricing that i was unaware of the software didn't force me to have that. So then I'd get in trouble because uh, I was selling items for too cheap. Um, and so it, it ended up being too much. And I didn't want to get blacklisted from Amazon. And I'm glad I didn't because that would have been pretty <laughs> gnarly. Uh, but yeah. like I said, in, in the time it was, and I still think there's a lot of money to be made there. Um, if you private label something like that um, with great branding, you'll do very, very well. Uh, it's cheap to make and it's, and people will pay good money for something in that realm. Um, but for me, there's just easier ways to make money. So I'll, I'll do that instead. But I still think there's a lot of uh, opportunity there. Yeah, that's interesting. I would have never, that's something I would never even consider. But you kind of just, the way I think about it, it's like that's a, where it's just like a taboo type of thing. You never hear anybody talk about it or whatever. But here in, yeah, obviously. And that's why a, I wanted I'm to get into it. Yeah, it's, it's a because, is because everybody kind of avoided it. I'm like, if everyone's avoiding it, I'll do it. Um, and that's the whole thing, you know, 
uh, zigging where others zag. I like to to do the opposite. And, uh, you know, if, if everybody feels like the sure bet in the Super Bowl is side A, I'm going to mortgage my house on side B and probably walk away happy. Um, because if everybody thinks it's a great idea, it probably isn't. Yeah, yeah that's kind of where I'm looking like this year. They're, they're, I'm like working on something that's, I'm not going to say it's under the radar, but no one that in our space is talking about it. And I've shied away from it so much. And I was just, the more I'm like looking into this, I'm like, this, like, why did I stay away from this? Like, this seems like based on my skill set, like you were kind of saying before, I was like, based on my skill set, I think I could absolutely crush this. Just putting together what I already know about Amazon and just kind of marketing and branding. I'm just like, why did I not do this? And I'm just, I think sometimes you just have to kind of, I don't know, be open to other options. I know a lot of people talk about too, it's like, oh, you just kind of focus on one thing and, you know, make that the thing. And I think that's all well and good. But if you don't want it to be the thing and you're just kind of doing it to make money, I think sometimes that's where I got caught with that way. It's like, no, this is the thing. It's like, yeah, it could be one thing. It doesn't have to be the thing. And instead of stressing about like, oh, you just have to grow this. It's like, well, like you could look at something else and do that for like 10 or 20 hours a week. It's not going to kill your Amazon business. And maybe you'll like doing that more. Um, and I think that might be the case with this other business that I'm going to start. Um, yeah, it's just super exciting. And no one's talking about it. I think a lot of people think it's stupid. And the more I'm breaking down the numbers on this stuff and hearing numbers about it, I'm just like, seems like a no-brainer. I mean, I'm still very early into it, but I don't know. It, to me, it just seems like I'm going to love doing this. Yeah, I'm a big systems guy. So people always ask me, like, how do you do so much? Like, do you run around with your hair on fire? Well, no. With the real estate stuff, you know, I just found a great team in three different states that they're going to manage my property. So not, they're not going to sell me a lemon because then they need to manage it. I have narrowed down exactly what I'm looking for, the areas I'm looking for, and then they manage it for me, right? So when you look at the real estate stuff, that manages itself. The KDP stuff, I find the niche, I find the book title and everything. I know it's gonna sell, I hire the writer, I have the ad agency that does all my ads for me. Now I, now I let that whole system work itself out. With the bookkeeping side, that's more hands-on. You're dealing with people's livelihoods. Uh, my day-to-day -day job is being a CPA, Come tax season, you know, mid February, March, I will be working 105 hours a week. Uh, it's just, it's just me and my dad. We do over 2,000 tax returns. We we love what we do, and we're both built in this very specific way where this is fun to us. Um, and then we work really, really hard for four months, and then after that, I work. I come into the office five to ten hours a week, and I do bookkeeping at home. I do the real estate and the KDP stuff while I travel and enjoy my life. And, uh, and so building out ways to make money, if you have to do every step of every process, you'll probably have a bad time. But if you build these systems out and you hire people that can replicate that system, then you build out a hundred machines and they all just can run themselves while you oversee all of them. And that's what interests me. And that's my video game. That's yeah, been so my biggest downfall for sure with like OA is trying to outsource, not really getting it down that great, just not liking it. And I just feel 
this other opportunity I have will be much easier to outsource because it's much more straightforward. Online arbitrage, I mean, you've done it. It's not super straightforward if you want to get someone to source for you. Maybe you want them to do admin stuff, but still, it's just a lot of moving parts and pieces. And this other thing, it's it's pretty straightforward. So we'll yeah. see. But yeah, I'm more looking to do that too this year. So what do you... One thing I've had an issue with in the past with the outsourcing type of stuff that you're saying, I feel like it's hard, and I'm sure a lot of people suffer from this, is like the uh, the kind of trust factor. You know, uh, how how am I going to know that this person's not going to screw me over, not doing good enough a job, whatever it would be? But how do you, did you initially kind of encounter that? Were you always kind of trusting and stuff like that? And how did you kind of get over it if that was the case? So the way I went over that with some of the writers was I, I first went to a big uh, agency, the Urban Writers is a big place where a lot of people get books ghostwritten. I found great writers there. If they ended up leaving, I had their contact info and now I could hire them, right? Uh, and they're keeping everything I'm giving them. They're not giving some of it to the agency. So that's how I found those writers. Um, but every, either US or global, outsourcing is tough. Normally, if it fails, it's your fault. It's because you didn't train them well. You didn't have systems, standard operating. You had didn't have something for them to to replicate, and it becomes something where if you don't train them, whoever it is, and you give them a task, if you start getting a bunch of questions back, it's because you're unclear with what you're looking uh, to get from them. So normally, it's your fault when global talent or even just outsourced through the United States fails, and learning why you are not good at that and then fixing your problems it ends up where you know people that i've had i've had since 2021 um they've never left it's because i pay them well i respect their time um and you know i uh value them significantly because they're great at what they do but a lot of that comes into training and a lot of times I feel like people just let them do with it because you don't want to be a micromanager. But you need to be a micromanager until you can stop being a micromanager. And that, that's the tough part for most people. Yeah, I find that extremely tough. I, I'm, I, that's something that I definitely need to get better at this year as well is that whole you know, training better at the beginning. I have, I've had a VA for like two years and I, I feel like I still haven't even trained her adequately, but still I've been paying her. I'm just basically running a charity for this woman. But I mean, that's just kind of the way I, I hate micromanaging because I've noticed myself doing that in the past and I feel like it's so irritating to other people. But like you said, it's kind of a necessary evil if you want somebody to do a specific task and for them not to, you know, not do a good job, especially when it's that global type of talent. You're paying three, four bucks an hour, whatever it is. Yeah. They, they want to do a good job and they want to stick around. Uh, and so a lot of times it's them panicking. Did, did I do a good job? Uh, do I need to, you know, you'll get a bunch of questions uh, until it becomes more time advantageous for you to just do it yourself. So it's fixing yeah. that problem. Uh, and then global talent becomes a huge asset. Uh, but you gotta, you gotta get those skills to be able to, uh, reap the rewards. And you, I, I noticed you a few times throughout this, you've kind of, uh, down the Upwork or the Fiverr type of thing. And that's where I go to get a bunch of my work. So I find it intriguing. You're like, you need to find higher quality talent, I guess. Where is your recommendation to kind of find higher quality talent? Or do you just mean a higher price option on those type of sites? Or do you already have networks of that stuff? Like, how do you find that talent? 
So I found my best VA um, from a, a recruiting service called Elevate and Delegate. Um, that's who I use. His, this guy's kind of bigger on Twitter now, Bryant Swellentrop or something along those lines. Um, he has maybe six full-time recruiters. Uh, it's a very, very well thought out process. So I've been able to hire uh, really, really amazing talent through him and his group. Now with the writing and the KDP stuff, that is not something that is gonna be well known in the Philippines yep. or Latin America or South Africa, you know, any any place where this is a, a normal global talent comes from. So that I've found from the urban writers and these writers normally are there because it's consistent work and then they, get a, a nice sample of work and then they can go out on their own. Well, when they go out on their own, I want to be there uh, because I'm starting to get into the romance niche. That's where the money really is. And so I'm seeing that what are good authors doing? They're coming out with a book every two to six weeks. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. So hiring these people and saying, hey, I'm looking to get a book done with you every two to six weeks. And now I have the, the cover designers on, on staff, I have the writer, one or two writers on staff, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Uh, I'm gonna try to, to figure out book talk. You know, there's a few things there that could be very advantageous. Um, and that, that's gonna be my post-tax season uh, kind of task, is trying to figure out how to nail this romance type fiction. Because the nonfiction stuff, you're just simple, you simply, seem to be looking a keyword up and I'm one of the first results that has a great cover and good reviews. Fiction is a whole other ball game uh, where a lot of people have tried and failed. And so hopefully I'll try and succeed. Yeah. I think one of my biggest takeaways from um, kind of what you've been saying too, which I really like, and that's kind of what I'm kind of after this year is you're going after hard things. Like I feel like a lot of people tend to be like, Oh, what's the easiest way to make money? And that might be why they end up failing because everyone's doing what's easy. That's kind of saturated. You're like, oh man, everyone wants to make a coloring book. I want to make something that's 30, 40,000 words. Like that seems like a challenge. I don't see many people probably being able to do that or kind of figure out the logistics for that, um, which I think is really cool and kind of just a big takeaway in general for business. Like, I don't know, the job th shipping things sounded good, but it almost seems like anyone could do that. You could kind of outsource that. So where does that leave you? Making a penny on a on a listing, right? Exactly. Like, there you go, right? Like you're making good money on paper, but you know what I mean? There's so much risk there to make a penny a listing. But then when you're like, oh, I'm gonna write a book, it's like, whoa. Like not many people write books. Like it's just a whole nother barrier to entry, which I just yeah. find like super intriguing. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, one other thing I've noticed, it, I guess you kind of explained this with the systems type of thing, but you have so many things going on at one time. How, how do you figure out how to delegate your time? And, mm -hmm. and, you know, you have a relationship as well. Like, so you have all these different times. Do you have any kind of things? Do you, do, are you big, like writing stuff down? Do you keep it in your phone? How do you delegate this kind of time? Uh, my notes app on my phone is useful. I know a lot of people use Notion or they use, I, I typically have a, I'll write something down on a piece of paper, write it on my notes. Um, occasionally I will uh, email it to myself. You know, one of those things where it's like, 
I'm emailing like my my not my junk email, but my important email that hardly everyone has. I'll email it there so it sticks in my brain. Um, but typically, when you're when you've got a lot going on, you spend more time initially nailing it until it can run itself, and then you can. So if I was trying to start three things at once, I'd have a really bad time. Um, but if I was going into something and I was uh, going to spend a lot of time and energy and focus on it initially, turn around. Now, now I can focus on something else. Um, this year is also kind of int interesting. I hadn't even announced it on Twitter yet, but uh, my girlfriend and I bought into a painting franchise. So we actually bought the whole territory of Las Vegas. We're going to actually own an, a painting company in Las Vegas that uh, when I've gone through this franchise route, I see people doing three, four million dollars in gross uh, and netting down to about 20 to 25%, maybe 18%, um, depending upon the economies of scale of how many territories there were employees. And, uh, and so when I'm thinking about doing a million things at once, you also have to have people that you can really trust. And so luckily, Angie, who's my girlfriend, uh, is going to be the day-to-day -day operating type partner. And I'm more of the, uh, uh, helper, the networker, the, you know, that type of person who's going to talk to all the realtors and contractors and, and everything. And she's going to be the day-to-day -day operating partner. So it's all about doing a lot of things, hard things and solving problems for people. And if you can do those, those things, then you'll be rich and happy. Rich and happy. I love that. Gotta well, be rich yeah, and happy. So what's your big like goal with all of it? I guess I mean man, it does, to me, I don't see that you have. I would say you probably aren't like I want to hit this set amount of money or I want to accomplish this. You kind of seem like somebody that just does the work all the time, just kind of does it. But I could be off on that. Is there kind of some big thing you want like out of it all, or is it just more of just conquering everything in the world? I guess just to to make a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> I when I don't have anything to do, I'm bored. And, and, uh, and so, you know, I just, this is, I just have to, I'm a workaholic. I just like to work. And, uh, and so being able to work and you got to have those boundaries set up and I don't have those set up yet, but when kids come and stuff, you got to have the, you don't want to be working while your kids learn how to hit a baseball, you know, yeah. you got to be able to, to do that. And so I think for me, kids are going to come sooner than later. I'm obsessed with setting all the groundwork necessary now so I can enjoy that stuff when it comes. Um, and yeah, if my kid is born in March, I'm not going to be able to go to a lot of birthday parties. Uh, I'll be working my ass off. But, you know, uh, eight months out of the year, I'm able to do whatever I want. Um, because like I said, the bookkeeping stuff, it's all remote. I'm able to do it from anywhere. And uh it's, it's laying all those ground rules. And, and, and so the service-based stuff, there's a lot of money there. If you can do things and kind of not reinvent the wheel, but make it easier for people to use you, uh, then it's, it's, it's going to be night and day. So that's one thing that I didn't even mean to get into. But uh, when we're talking about tackling a lot of things at once, that's just something that is going to come with the territory is I couldn't do it alone. But if you have those people that can do things and, and you can support them and they can support you, you can do 
a whole bunch of everything. How do you know, or how do you evaluate whether or not to take on like another project? Uh, the risk reward. Um, I, I knew that I, that she, you know, she was an internal auditor for the biggest, uh, nightclub in the, in the world. And she was the best at her job. If she left, they couldn't replace her. Um, and I wanted her to make money and keep it in our unit right? Our family unit. So she's not working hard for somebody else to make them money. She's working hard for us to make us money. And so it was, how can we figure something out that it's going to be in her wheelhouse um, and being able to replicate what works all over the country and apply it here. And she can have the training and the support and everything needed, including me. And I can be, uh, get that same type of support. Then it starts making sense where if you say, Hey, go start a painting company, go start a pest control business be like how but being able to kind of utilize the capital that we had um the connections i have with realtors and contractors and go okay painting's kind of interesting um and finding the right franchisor who when i'm doing the risk analysis of if this fails what is really going to happen to me oh not that much okay cool you know then let's let's go see if we can hit it over the wall yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I love the thing you're saying about kind of keeping it like in the the family type of thing, and you know, not having somebody else like work for somebody else. I think that gets a little lost online sometimes. Is don't work with family or don't work with this stuff. But like, I, I don't understand. That seems like the best type of people to work with. Uh, if you actually like your family, I mean, these people that work with family and it goes wrong, and it sounds like a family problem, not like a you know business problem. That that you're learning a lot about those type of people. So uh, I love that idea. Cause I think you hear quite the opposite. A lot of the times and I, I see my yeah. life going the same way, you know, my girlfriend, wife, whatever, I want them to probably work for me in some capacity, doing something that they enjoy as well. So we can kind of just be more free on our own time and like love what we do and, you know, make the money all together. So I love that. Exactly. Yeah, no, That's awesome too. And I think that's like kind of the thing that blows my mind too, is just how much opportunity is, out there really like let's just say angie just loved to paint well it's like how could you make money painting and you go down the rabbit hole for 20 30 hours or whatever it's like oh well there's, there's these painting franchises or maybe you buy someone's studio i feel like sometimes everyone always thinks similar to amazon right like you're not you don't have to come up with distribution or all this other stuff like there's other options for you out there i mean look at the kdp yeah. like you don't have to have a printing press Right. Like you're coming up with this idea, you're letting, you know, whatever Amazon does with it, letting them do their thing and you get a way to make money. And then I just think that's the coolest thing ever. And I just never really get it when people are like, oh, I don't like my job. Or I don't like this. It's like there's just so much opportunity out there. Yeah, you might not be able to quit your job in 90 days, but like if you start looking and, you know, maybe some people be like, oh, I have to write a book. It's like, well, you're actually, you're hiring, right? You're not doing anything from what yeah. I understand. The writing, the publishing, the printing. It's like, well, that's a possibility for someone who maybe likes to write or has good ideas for books or whatever. Um, but it's just really taking that step and like actually be like, you know what? Let me look into this and see what's out there. Or maybe there is something for me out there because there probably is. Yeah, it, it, it's so true. When I was looking at, so they have these FDDs, it's called the Franchise Disclosure Document. Um, so of course I download like 200 of them because I just, I'm like, wow, this is telling me exactly how much these companies make and 
and how big the territories are and how people are having success. Okay, that sounds great. And so the one I went with is, is called That One Painter. They're from Austin, Texas. And I called every name in the back. And they all were like, oh, I love it. I'm like, really? Everybody? That's kind of crazy. Um, and then Phoenix was the, mo was the market that most resembles Las Vegas. They launched in November and did 106,000 in sales in their first month. Do you know how hard it is to start a painting business to do over $100,000 in your first month? That's, that's impossible. That's, that's amazing. And, uh, and so that's why I started realizing like the power of what that franchising could actually be is that if I tried to start a painting business, I would probably lose money in my first month, let alone like sell $106,000 worth of painting services. Right. So yeah. it's one of those things that when you start to realize what the business market, what the world looks like, um, there's so much opportunity that if you're not making money, you're probably just looking and focusing on the wrong thing uh, because it's it's out there. Yeah, I almost feel like franchising. I mean, I've not looked into it, but it's almost like the ultimate mentorship because they did all the work, right? Exactly. I don't know how many painting places they have, but if they have a hundred, right? They probably know how to optimize exactly like the area, what kind of stuff you have, like the best colors. And they don't want you to go out of business because it looks bad for them if you go out of business exactly like, hey jake like what's going on like how can we help you and you're like oh well, this is my problem and if you you could just follow directions and kind of put the piece in place you could have a good business based on what someone yeah. else built yeah it's hard to to be up there on the google lsa and and stuff and in their first month you know if you have a fencing business you're number three in your whole market just based off of what the franchise work can do for you. So to me, it is the ultimate mentorship. It is the ultimate uh, handholding to success. Um, and so, you know, it's one of those things that when people make money, right? And they're like, man, this FBA thing or this KDP thing, like this is done very, very well for me. But what do I do with this money now? Do I just invest it? Do I, do I put it all in Bitcoin? Like, what am I supposed to do with it? And so it's one of those things that, that's this that's the real the real question is do I go into the service based business where I feel like I can have a ton of success? Do I just double down on what's been working for me? Do I just invest it and try to go live in in Spain for cheap and just like relax and have a good life? There's a million ways to go about it. Yeah, well so what do you that another question then what do you think kind of recommend let's say you have some let's get i'll give a scenario to make this a little easier let's say it's a kid he's 21 years old or 22 years old he just got out of college he's been doing the amazon fba or whatever he's got 80 100 grand saved up and he's in a scenario where do i keep doing this or you know whatever it is he doesn't have to work a job you know i, I was in a you know somewhat similar situation at this point so I, kind of what where do you think the money is bet is well put or what what's the you know, what, what do you recommend for somebody? Yeah, it's one of those things that reinvesting back into your business is going to give you the biggest ROI. If you invested in the stock market, right, and you're going to get on average 8 to 10% a year, that's still great. But you're young and you're, you can still work and make great money. And taking risks now will not kill you. Um you know, it's painful if you go put it in crypto and, and you don't win out and it seems like everyone's getting rich but you and now it's all gone. But to me, putting it into things, um, reinvesting back into your business, whether it's 
uh, a service-based business, right? I'm seeing a lot of people with dumpster rentals um, or house cleaning or whatever it is. If you just reinvest and double down, you can start seeing this exponential growth. Um, and, uh, and KDP, right? I have turned literally 5,000 into something that I could probably sell now for 400 grand. And I've done it in, in 10 months. And, uh, if I had put that somewhere else, you know, I, it would have, it would have been less risky, but that payout is just, it's not the same. Yeah. Makes sense. Oh, do you have anything further, John? I don't think so. Do you? Yeah, this is that. This was just a ton of value. I think people are going to be very intrigued by this whole thing because I think most of the podcasts in this whole space, I don't think there's a lot of people that are as successful as you that do all these different things and all the insights you have. So that's awesome. Is is there anything you want to kind of plug? I know you have a Twitter. Uh, like yeah, just just I'm building out Twitter. I think I started it in November. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jake Rader CPA R A D E R. Not I like the football team. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And then we, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, taking on more bookkeeping clients and, and tax clients for the year. Uh, if you're interested in KDP, you can reach out to me and, and I max will take on like one person a month, um, uh, and probably nobody for the first quarter just through tax season, but it's something I actually enjoy. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, real estate wise, uh, just, make sure that you work with the right people. If you could just surround yourself with the right people, you'll win. Um, it's sometimes hard to find out who those right people are, but starting with John and Drew is, is a pretty good, it's a pretty good place to start. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Anything else, John? Close this out. That's it guys. Let us know what you think down below. Like subscribe, leave a review, all that stuff. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace. Peace.